Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 91. I guess kind of this is our third season, even though we don't really number it that way. We sort of number it like that. I don't know. It's our third year. I I deny the existence of seasons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we made fun of that last year, too. They're not in existence. They're not a thing that podcasts should have, but whatever. (laughs) Well, it's a new year. It's a new us. Well, same us, but new perspectives? (laughs) I don't know. It's definitely a new year. (laughs) That is for uh, sure. Hopefully it'll be super awesome. Yeah. Well, it'll be super something one way or another. <laughs> Not to get political or anything. Uh, so we're going to do our New Year's goals. It's kind of a tradition now. And uh, we also got some good news. Things have been happening over the, the break. Uh, things are, you know, it's, we kind of stop recording towards the end of the year because it gets slow. Everybody's hanging out with their families and the holidays and App Store shuts down and nothing's really all that interesting. So we figure why bother everybody. But uh, things are picking back up and there's some cool stuff out there to talk about. So let's get started. Sounds good. So one thing that I was dreading that looks like I can I can pr- procrastinate a little bit more on is the uh, application transport security uh, app review deadline has been extended indefinitely. Um, yeah. which was kind of a welcome surprise. We were just about to start working on making some changes related to that. Were you, you were probably already doing some kind of end-to-end encryption, like SSL, TLS, but... Well, yeah, all of our stuff is is good. Um, it's Our issue is with all of our ad networks. Uh, oh, yeah. We don't really have control over what they serve up. Um, and so right now we have... We basically have the let anything through flag on, um, which you now need to have App Store like special approval if you're going to have that flag on. Um, <laughs> and on iOS 10, they actually added a new flag that basically says allow everything in web views. Uh, but if it's not in a web view, then kind of adhere to the the ATS rules where you can set up explicitly things to allow or not allow or whatever, but everything has to be ATS compliant, um, which I think is what we were going to have to do uh, for iOS 10. But then you still have to put the flag for iOS 9 to allow everything through because iOS 9 doesn't know about this new flag. So it's a giant cluster. uh, And maybe that's part of the reason that people have delayed it. Maybe, Maybe they've seen that people are not prepared for it or maybe they started doing review and saw, Oh crap, this is not going to go well. I don't know. Have you guys had any experience with it? Uh, Not, not with Apple reviewing the apps, but yeah, I've seen where the clients that I've been at, even their TLS version that they're using is too old for what Apple wanted. And even last week at this other client I'm at, I was implementing an analytics package and it was requiring ATS exceptions. And this is a analytics product from one of those big database vendors that we love to hate on. Well, yeah. And if you're like a, if you're a big company, any, actually, even if you're just not a small company, there's like probably three different groups that have to be evol- involved in budgets and kind of stuff. If you need to do something to some, uh, you know, some random proxy server or whatever to, to actually, you know, upgrade some certain versions of, you know, whatever servers you're using. It's Oh yeah, God God forbid you gotta upgrade your routing appliance your load balancing appliance to yeah. <laughs> get to the right version of TLS. So it sounds like, oh, this is a simple thing. It's it's twenty seventeen. We should be able to require this, but I, I I don't know. It's it's gonna take a while, I think, before I'm curious to see what they said there will be a forthcoming announcement when they have determined the new deadline, they don't even know when it is yet. So I was 
my best case scenario was they were going to say, all right, we've extended it six months or something like that. But I'm just kind of yeah, like, what? They're extending it. We'll let you know sometime later when it's extended until. There's no way that, yeah, there's no way they're going to be like, we're extending it three more weeks and then everyone scrambles. It's going to be another long period of time. Well, it was kind of odd timing anyway, you know, coming right off of a app store shutdown. You know, people are already kind of scrambling to get updates in through the backlog and and year-end things and and potentially getting blocked because of this new requirement if uh, if they didn't get it in in time. So, you know, I, I think I think it was probably a good move on their part to push it out. Um I think there's going to be lots of incentives this year for everybody to move in this direction. I, I believe Google is going to start penalizing websites that have logins and such without uh, without SSL and a certain level of TLS. Uh, I know TLS, TLS 1.3 was announced earlier, or actually later in 2016, so I don't know if that's going to change the ATS requirements if they're going to move to 1.3 quickly or if it's going to stay I, I think 1.2 is the current expectation that would seem super aggressive but yeah. we'll see <laughs> but the way it's designed it's kind of you've it's not really tied to a specific version as much as whatever Apple has determined minimum so you could have TLS 1.2 implemented get it approved and at some point down the road, they could decide to move the one three, and then, and your app might not get through the review process. Right, but on the other hand, things like TLS one one have they, those things have bad security holes. They've yeah. been broken, and you don't want to rely on that. Yeah, and and I should back it up. I I don't know. Maybe it would actually get through the review process, but it just wouldn't function anymore. Because now the, the ATS would take effect and block traffic. Yeah, it depends how good your reviewer is, I guess. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, we really don't know what that circumstance is going to be like. Now, if you have ATS turned on or you don't have the allow arbitrary load, and you try and call an, an endpoint that doesn't have the TLS one two. SSL communication, then it just fails to communicate. You yeah, know, so. it's always a fine balance to strike with security. You want to, you always want to be on the most secure thing and the most up to date thing. You don't want to be behind, but uh, you know, at some point, it gets super cum- cumbersome to to keep up. And some security stuff can even be like user hostile. So there's always a good balance to strike. Like. Yeah. If you have to carry around three different devices to get all your email, people are probably just going to do some crazy, unsecure stuff like forward emails around to different places or whatever, or have a private email <laughs> server, you know? So, and this is one <laughs> of those. Not get political or anything. <laughs> this is one of those things, too, that you can't necessarily put into a unit test and find out that it does or doesn't work. I mean, I suppose you could do yeah. network calls to make sure you get a success response instead of a. And you get some sort of error if uh, if you call something that's not supported, but I'm, I'm not sure how that, what form that comes in, whether it's a, something that just gets spit out to the console or if it fails bad connection or, or I don't recall at this, this point, but, um, you know, I, I think going forward, we're probably going to want to have some tests around this because the, the compiler is not going to know. Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea. So, what else is new? Well, as we're recording this, this would be the 10th anniversary of the announcement of the iPhone. Remember, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, we've come a long way since then. (laughs) (laughs) So, did either of you have the first-gen iPhone? I did. (laughs) I I did not, because I did not want to pay for those data plans back then. Plus, the you know just data over cellular back then was atrocious. 
I hear you. I didn't have any kids, so I had some extra cash burning a hole in my pocket. So I was like, I'm getting this thing. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> I I forced myself to wait like two days. <laughs> and I, two days. I, I, I was reading the reviews really closely, and I, I broke down. I bought that, that first-gen iPhone. Pretty excited about it. I think it was in a building with about a 1,000 people. I think there were just two of us that, that had it. And yeah, it was, it was one of those things where, like, whenever you pulled out the iPhone, people were like, is that the iPhone? That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I I would not take the phone out of my pocket in public. It was just... Yeah, it was, was kind of scary, especially early on. And I, I bought it before they dropped the price. So, you know, I, I think I paid $600 for a subsidized phone plus the data plan. It was pretty pricey but i guess today we're you know since they're not subsidized anymore you're still paying like 650 or more depending on size amount of amount of storage that you're getting so yeah that's that's weird alex i did the exact same thing as you i was like oh this is too expensive i'm not gonna wait in line and buy this thing and then two days later something like that i was in the apple store getting one (laughs) and i'd I'd been going to other apple launches like i waited in line for you know, a bunch of OS ten launches, the Tiger launch, the Panther launch, I think even. And it was a cool experience, but I was like, I don't know about this phone thing. It's really expensive, you know, but it was that cool. It was that, you know, much of an advance from what we had before. I knew I wanted one. I just was trying to hold out and, and not buy it because it was, you know, relative to prices of other phones, it was expensive. But then again, I, right before that, I think I had a Motorola or Nokia that cost around three or four hundred dollars. So, um, and that, that thing didn't do anything. So, I think it ran Java in theory, but uh, and yeah. I, I think the apps probably cost an average of twenty or forty dollars a piece, which is funny on the on the Motorola. Yeah, the the smartphones yeah. for like Nokia and, and Motorola, like the the Java apps and such, that you could buy in the marketplace. That was, it, yeah, it was a terrible marketplace. Yeah. for that kind of thing. But you you spent you know twenty plus dollars easily to get like a to do list app or snakes or whatever the the silly little game, maybe a solitaire yeah. game that was kind of monochrome or something but yeah it's it's funny well as a developer you spent thousands of dollars just in software licensing costs to try to put a to-do list out on some somebody's phone and the the process was terrible you couldn't i mean it was something i looked into trying to do on some of my earlier phones and yeah once you once you uh, doled out all the cash for things like MetroWorks, CodeWarrior, and then on top of that, you had all these different licensing membership fees with the different carriers and you know, on the different phones. It was it was terrible. It just wasn't feasible for an indie developer to do that type of thing. Well, yeah. in the developer experience of the uh, iPhone with iPhone OS 1 was... Uh, <clears throat> was kind of a disappointment too at that point it was kind of <laughs> it was steve's cool. like so and developers you can make all kinds of apps for whatever you want in safari in, <laughs> yeah. in javascript that was Ooh. uh yeah that was a big disappointment but yeah uh, they made up for it a year later i think yeah i think it worked out well yeah. for us and for the company <laughs> yeah yeah i i think the thing i was most excited about with the, that first generation iphone was the multi-touch that I think was that was the differentiator probably more than anything. Uh, it took Android quite a while to add multi-touch support. Well, that was a patent issue. Yeah, <laughs> but I think for me, I was, I'll be honest, I was overwhelmed or underwhelmed with, with the iPhone. I, yeah, I thought it was cool, but at the time, I was carrying around a PDA and I had a cell phone and you know. I, I had apps. I could write apps on my PDA for it. 
and the apps had copy paste and all kinds of things that the iPhone didn't have. And <laughs> I could send picture messages, which all my friends with iPhones couldn't do. So at the time, it, it, it took me a while to warm up to the iPhone. So, and... Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff they were trying to do with that 1.0, and they didn't hit everything, like you said. They missed out on some some stuff that's pretty common that people use nowadays. But it was a <laughs> yeah. pretty awesome... 1.0 version of an OS. I there are some articles going around today about all the smoke and mirrors uh, that were kind of in that that demo that Steve did. That was actually a live demo, but there is a lot of wonky stuff going on. But they they made it work by the time they shipped the thing. Well, it took them a few years to get scroll views even close to right, even after that thing shipped. So. Change the rotation API just about every year. <laughs> uh, well, now you don't even rotate, so they just basically took it out. You just change your size. Yep. And then uh, we didn't have interface builder in, in uh, iPhone Kit version one, or the well, iPhone that was, SDK. That wasn't until, yeah, that yeah. wasn't even until the to OS 2 so yeah although did, did any of you guys play yeah. around with the uh iPhone jailbreak stuff because there were people who were basically like reverse engineering their own Objective-C tool chain uh and making apps and that's kind of I think what made Apple decide to to actually you know make a proper SDK it was all the apps that came out of that there are some IRC chat rooms. Like I said, I had a lot of time back then that I was hanging out, and there is all kinds of cool stuff that people were were doing, making making native apps before the SDK was even there, and you have to jailbreak your phone. Um, uh, I didn't uh, get into the jailbreak, but when that SDK came out, it was kind of like Christmas for me. So, uh, yeah, you know, my wife and family. Uh, that I was seems more excited about that than than Christmas or anything else. <laughs> Just waiting for the, everything to download. It was it was a good day. So um, we've got a big year ahead of us. Hopefully, we'll see something equally exciting with iPhone eight. But we've got a few months before we find out about that. So uh, maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about. And one of our listeners, uh, we've been pressuring to get his app shipped for quite a while and uh, finally got something shipped at the end of the week. I'm pretty sure we started pressuring him to to ship this app when it was at least like iPhone OS 3 or 4 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure the iPad was out, but it was at, it was at one of the earlier CocoConf conferences uh, in our neighboring city of Columbus where... Uh, bunch of people were sitting around a table and we were like wouldn't it be great if there's an app and you could shake the app and then there would be cats and it was you know it's a goofy little idea for an app but uh one of the guys was like yeah i'm totally gonna do that and he started working on it back then and he he finally shipped it over this this holiday and it's a pretty polished app for the purpose of shaking it and you get cats there's different cat packs you can do uh if you if you pet your phone, it like you know the cats purr back at you, and if you shake it really hard, you get an angry cat that purrs angrily at you. So it's a it's a fun little app. We'll put a a link to it in the show notes. You guys have anything else you wanted to say well, about it? I used the app, and instead of instead of petting the phone, I tried to drop the phone in the toilet to see what the cat would do, and killed my phone. <laughs> oh bummer. <laughs> I want a refund. I hope you didn't give him a one-star review. <laughs> that sounds like something that would happen, though. <laughs> if it yeah. was a 7, it would be fine, right? Right, yeah. That's, well, you that haven't updated yet, right? <laughs> I have not. No, a bit of a curmudgeon this year on the, the iPhone models. You're going to the the 8, right? It's going to be revolutionary all over again. Kind of looking at the new iPads that might come out. Yeah, those look kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I want one where I can use a pencil with. I don't have that currently. So, 
I'll, if all the rumors are true, I might be getting one of those 10-inch ones, which would be more than enough for my needs, I think. But yeah, uh, the app is called Shake for Cats, and it's a very polished app. He, Steve, he um, basically decided to make this a professional app, and he very much so researched things like in-app purchases, and he's got... Uh, analytics in there and you can rate it in the app store it's like it's like everything you would really want to do for all your own apps and that's what he did so it's a it's definitely a high quality app just don't shake the cat for near the toilet you know i'll have to remember that <laughs> and yeah i think we might have a show title <laughs> <laughs> don't shake for cats over the toilet yeah it's a little bit long so, do you guys want to talk about what our New Year's resolutions are? Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say up front that uh, based on my abysmal performance last year in my New Year's goals, I declined to create any, but Alex and Sam created some for me. <laughs> so we'll have to see if I can reject or defend their goals <laughs> once we talk about mine. But why don't you go first, Alex? One of yours. Okay, uh, so kind of one of the things on my plate for this year is to, I've got a couple of projects I've been holding off migrating the Swift 3, so you know, hopefully I'll get get those remaining projects updated before Swift 4 comes out. Uh, one, I tried to, started to migrate a couple of times during the betas, and the migrators just weren't quite ready yet, and fairly large project. Um, you know, it's, the project's about the size of or bigger than a project I'd worked on in the past where we had s close to six developers and I'm the only developer part-time on, on this project trying to upgrade it to Swift 3. So uh, it's, it's not... It doesn't it's, sound easy. It's not a small effort. Uh, the Swift 3 migration has definitely been painful for a lot of developers, I think, and Migrator seems to do some interesting things. So... Uh, um, starting that up again on that project and then I've got another Swift project that we started pretty early on uh, in the early days of Swift that uh, we've updated a couple of times but uh, we haven't revisited it in a while so it's it's overdue uh, to get up to Swift 3 it, it gets very painful when you have dependencies that you need to also migrate because a lot of times those dependencies took the Swift 3 switch as a good time to modify their API as well. Convenient. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So not only are you modifying your code to catch up to just a new version of the language, but you're trying to also switch out a new API in there. And so if something doesn't work, you don't know if you messed up in your porting of the, of the language features or if it was something with a new pod version or whatever, it's, it's it can be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely trying to tread lightly, like not, not take it as an opportunity to do a rewrite, but you know, do, you know, focus just on the syntax and getting that right. And then, uh, once everything's compiling and tests are passing, uh, fortunately, you know, the, the big project has probably the best coverage, in terms of unit tests of of any of the projects, so that that helps, but is not it's not a silver bullet either. So, uh, Sam, why don't you go next? Sure. So, last year I had as a goal to ship an app, a new app, not one of the ones I already ship, and I did not meet that goal. So I'm putting it back up there, and. I have an app that's nearly ready to ship, but it now needs to be ported to Swift 3, and that's what I'm going to focus on, and then ship that app. So that is my first one. Are we going around in circles? Sure, we or... can do that. So I'll okay. take one of the, uh, the New Year's goals that was assigned to me. Um, <laughs> so I'll... The... The first one I'll talk about is be the first to download Apple's new VR kit at DubDub. 
Um, so I I will gladly accept that uh, goal since I'm super into the VR stuff. Um, but do I get dinged if they don't ship something like that, which seems pretty unlikely? Like, how does this work? It, it's all on you, man. If, if they don't ship <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's, it's your Do I have to create failing. my own VR kit? or? That's right. You, you nailed it. This going, is rough. We're going back to that jailbreak conversation now, and you got to get a jailbreak it in iOS 10 and add VR. Should it's be easy. Abandoned. Abandon your family. You'll have all the time you need. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I think I see how this is going to work. All right. Well, I'll consider uh, I'll consider that one discussed. So why don't we go back to Alex for another one of his resolutions? All right. Now, we talked a little bit about Arc Swift uh, a few times in 2016, and it's one of those things I've been keeping an eye on, been holding off really doing too much with it for a couple reasons one it's it, super awesome it's it, it doesn't have a uh, that's not a reason small, to hold off, Sam. <laughs> it doesn't have a small learning curve so there, there's definitely a learning curve there and um you know i'm, I'm kind of hesitant to bring anything into a project that would cause our clients to have trouble supporting it or the next developer from supporting it and the second reason I've been kind of hopeful that we'd get some built-in support at the language level for async concurrency uh, functionality, like what we get with Rx Swift. That's Swift five now, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a positive that uh, it looks like we're going to get that, but it's going to be maybe late 2018 by the time we can actually use it in an app and even then it's going to be That's early, betas, yeah. early, early days so yeah. I'm thinking it's probably going to be 2019 so kind of weighing that uh, that timeline and saying yeah, <laughs> I don't know if waiting two and a half years is practical so it's worked uh, well with me for Swift <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, yeah, I think I'm I definitely want to do some more stuff with Arc Swift this year. I I don't know if I'll ship anything to production with it, but uh, I, I want to take a much more serious approach to it and see if if it makes sense as something we adopt as part of our standard architecture, or if uh, uh, if I feel like we should hold out and wait for something built in to the language. I suspect that. Uh, waiting probably won't be the best option but i also know that we'll probably want to rip it out later if there is language level support good language level support i don't know if you can get the types of features that rx swift gives you at a, at a language level you definitely wouldn't get it from like the c sharp async await style yeah I, of programming i think it's i think I think there's a lot more to Arc Swift than than just the concurrency, but I think in terms of like how concurrency is handled in a more straightforward um, approach, you know, without like the pyramid of doom type of you know nested callbacks and closures, uh, where it's a lot more readable. I th- think you do get that. It's just uh, Arc Swift does that and more. And this is one of those types of libraries that is pervasive and you're going to, yeah, it's not something you should adopt lightly because it's a large percentage of your code is going to be touching it in one way or another. So it it becomes harder and harder to to replace uh, the more code you write. Yeah, it would. And it's definitely something that, approaches the, the framework style or the the framework level rather than say a, a library level the difference being a library you just call a bunch of functions or or classes and it's relatively easily replaced whereas a framework dictates a lot of your app structure and it's not to that level not like UI kit is but or say something like Ruby on Rails, but it's 
it can you can use it a lot and the more you use it the more it does approach that level of dependency yeah to to use a a word that people use way too much it does seem like quite a paradigm shift but yeah so sam what's a what's another new year's goal for you well i want to learn firebase just to uh allow me to throw out quick and dirty apps that have a, a little back end that I don't have to write myself. And so that's probably one of the more viable uh, back end as a service things right now. Uh, you still have things like open source parse or uh, other uh, more pay options, but Firebase is done up by Google and so it's a very low barrier to entry it's cross-platform I mean cloud gets another one of those out there but if you want to throw something out there that you could write an Android app for too and have your users communicate then you're not gonna be using cloud kit so I was, I was gonna say like if I were gonna do just like a little toy app and maybe this is just because I was super invested in parse and I've already switched multiple apps over to use parse open source, I would probably just spin up, you know, some open source parse on on a free Heroku instance, uh, especially since it won't probably be big if it's just like a little hobby app. Uh, but Firebase definitely seems like it's an up-and-coming thing too. Yeah, I think Firebase is good for those proof of concepts and MVP projects where you don't have or, or you're a company that doesn't have an IT team to spin out servers and, and you don't want to think about that part of it, the operational and server yeah, side true. of things. Um, yeah, if, if you're doing open source parts, you definitely have yeah. to have it somewhere and it's pretty easy to get running you know, a lot yeah. of different places, but yeah. Yeah, it's not, a, not having to think about that is is the whole point of like the, you know, the back end as a server thing. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's true. There's yeah. definitely several push button options for open source parse on a bunch of different hosts, but there's still some considerations there. Uh, Realm mobile Realm's mobile platform is an upcoming contender as well. So if you're already bought into yeah. Realm, theoretically you can uh, use their backend as well. And Realm might even be a little bit better because. I don't think it, well, Fire. I should say Firebase seems to uh, have some weird ways that it wants you to structure your data that you might not think about hierarchically structuring your data in order to uh, play into some of their security roles and things. And so, plus the way they do security in Firebase seems a little odd. So Realm might be definitely something to look into. But again, it's when we end up, if you have something like that and it does become something that's more than just a toy, at least I guess Realm will take your money, whereas Facebook wasn't going to, or their okay. level. You, Facebook would take your money, but it was you had to reach a insane level of traffic, and then Facebook decided this is not my this is not our thing. It's not our core competency or core goal this is definitely so, the heart of realms business you know it's yeah. it's without it they don't exist um, right but they are a y combinator uh startup company fairly well funded a lot of really smart talented people uh, but you know they don't have the kind of money that facebook has or google has but that money it apparently didn't <laughs> that in a way that kind of worked against us with parse yeah, I was going to say, like, you still would worry about, you know, they're a Y Combinator startup, so their their goal is probably to exit somehow, and the most likely exit seems like being bought by some big company who needs their own backend as a service or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I would be, I would be wary of that, even though they have open source a bunch of stuff, so potentially you could do fine on your own. Yeah. But yeah, it's still kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, 
learning Firebase is one of the things on my list to do this year. Argo, cool. You had a, another goal in there. Yeah, I've got an, I got a couple more assigned by you guys. Uh, one of them that probably is the most unrealistic. I'll take next, which is write at least fifty percent Swift. Um, it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> but I will co-opt that one, and I'll change it to ship Swift in one of my my I'll call it my moneymaker apps. My the apps that my company makes. I I would like to do that. Just some Swift. <laughs> I do Swift otherwise on like toy projects or just experimenting. And I actually have been uh, doing some of the playgrounds with my son, helping him mess with some of that stuff. So I've been doing a little bit of Swift here and there, but uh, just uh, the effort of getting all of our frameworks and settings all up to date in order to be able to shift Swift in one of our company apps would be a pretty big effort and i feel like we're fairly close especially maybe with what the swift four stuff will be for me to really consider that a viable thing it might be 50 percent swift ain't happening (laughs) it might be good as another way to to help ease into it is as you're going into different files start adding in the nullability annotations in your objective c code yeah, that way true. your Swift code won't look like crap. Yeah, that might be useful. So would, at this point, would you get, say you guys are like 95% Swift or almost all Swift unless you're like touching some random maintenance thing? Or what percentage are you guys at now? I think generally speaking going forward, it's it's mostly if not all Swift. Um, we definitely have a lot of legacy applications that continue the touch that have a lot of objective c if not entirely objective c and i definitely caution the introducing swift just for the sake of introducing swift to a legacy project because those those objective c apps for the most part you can load up and compile with newer versions of xcode without changing any code there might yes, be some. You can. <laughs> there's some project setting changes, maybe, but um, you know, in, introducing Swift just to do it uh, for something that's already mostly Objective C. I don't. I don't know if I would recommend that. And uh, we even ran into an issue the other day where, um, apparently, with Xcode eight, the signing cert requirements changed uh, for permissions in order to run Xcode with an enterprise certification. And and you get this really weird error that doesn't really tell you what's going on, but it's only an issue with enterprise certs, and it's only because you're trying to run Swift with a cert that was created before Xcode 8. All you have to do to fix it is recreate the cert. But yeah, it, it was kind of a weird thing that we lost a few hours on trying to figure out what does it, you know, what does it mean? It can't find Swift. Uh, so apparently, there was uh, something that would not permit Swift to run, uh, have the right permissions to run uh, with that cert- old version of the cert. So is that why you're trying to sign the app or actually running it on a device? Oh, you can sign it. You can run it on the simulator, but it's once you actually run it on a device with that cert that's when you run into issues and it uh, hmm. basically just crashes. Interesting. Yeah. I would not have expected that to be an issue. That's kind of weird that, you know, it's, so, you know, I, I don't know what version of iOS said so reading the technical notes. It said, you know, certs created prior to Xcode eight had an issue, but anything after it doesn't. Uh, huh, that's really weird. <laughs> yeah. So Sam, yeah. what about you? Are you, Mostly well, Swift at this point, or does it so, depend on the client? Yeah, it really depends on my client because if you would have asked me this question, say three months ago, I would have said basically eighty, ninety percent Swift. Now today, I have to tell you zero percent Swift, but that's going to change soon because this so, client that I'm at right now has been slow to adopt Swift, 
So however, wait, you, you assigned me a goal that was more than what you're currently doing? <laughs> well, <laughs> however, <laughs> the interesting thing is that they are moving towards Swift and they're pulling in RX Swift at the same time. <whistles> yeah. So it's not that the developers on this project don't know Swift or even RX Swift, but their organization as a whole has been more um, conservative, I guess you could say, about moving towards Swift. Hey, I don't blame it at all. I mean, it makes sense. You don't want to spend yeah. all this time reworking every time Apple updates it. That makes sense. Yeah, but that's one of those things that's been more hindsight, you know, 2020 hindsight than um, what we were promised, right? Because Swift 2 was supposed to be a very source-stable version. And then they kind of said, well, never mind. Swift 3 is going to be the more source-stable version. Yeah, but you've heard similar promises before. I mean, it's... I don't... I oh. take that with a grain of salt, especially after the first time when it didn't come true. I'm like, okay, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice. You know, I don't know. I I think procrastination has been a, a highly efficient approach <laughs> <laughs> on the swift front to, to this date so i'm gonna keep on doing that <laughs> i don't know because yes the conversion to the new version of swift is painful but the day-to-day -day advantages of working in swift they kind of outweigh in my book that conversion effort that you have to do every year or so Yeah, I'll have, to, yeah. I'll have to see, and maybe you're right. <laughs> I should also point out that, uh, Alex, you work at a product company versus Sam and, and I are in the, in consulting businesses, so we have a little bit more incentive to be on the bleeding edge. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was right with you guys. Like, before I, I quit the day job, I, you know, if you're... If that's kind of what your job is, then you want to be up on the latest stuff. And I still want to be up on the latest stuff. I still keep in, in contact with it. But there's all these other forces that if you're a product company, especially a small product company that are kind of fighting against, you know, eliminating all technical debt that's there. <laughs> yeah. Shipping is definitely a feature. And <laughs> the more often you ship, the... the uh, better your rate of return on that code is going to be. And if you have to spend time rewriting code, that's that's a zero sum. You're, yeah, that's negative. not to say that, that we're super awesome at shipping super fast and often, but yeah, it's it's a it's a fight. It's a battle. <laughs> yeah. So Alex, you got another resolution goal? And yeah, I've got uh kind of similar to your goal except uh, I had an app that I shipped a few years ago but I I haven't updated in a long time so you know it, it the app is a free app it's done reasonably well it's got quite a decent size user base has had great reviews uh, but we never got around to implementing data sync into the app so I'd kind of like to get that app updated, refresh the UI a little bit, maybe even rewrite large portions of it in Swift. Uh, not so much because I think it needs to be rewritten in Swift for the language features. I, I think I, I definitely spent quite a bit of time over the last couple of years with Swift trying to rethink about how I want to organize my code and, and what good architecture means in iOS and more specifically Swift and I'm starting to feel like I'm getting to a, a good point with that and would like to maybe use this app as an opportunity to apply my current thinking uh, in terms of architecture. Well, it's, it's nice to have a sandbox app to play around in. Yeah, yeah this one has real users and, and real functions. You know, people use it on a regular basis so it's it's not just a 
toy app. Um, so I think it would, but it's small enough that I think it would be a good kind of example of of how those kind of pieces and and layers of the architecture work together without it being too trivial. That it's it's not a good example. Yeah, definitely. So my last goal would be to um, beef up my server side skills. So when I went into iOS development full time about five years now, five years ago now, I really stopped doing a lot of server side work and the landscape has changed a lot. Uh, the, the tooling, the languages, you know, what's, what's hot now is a lot different than what was hot back then. So I want to spend some time just kind of getting reacquainted with my server side roots and also use that as a way of uh, doing more full stack development and not having to depend on things like a, like a Firebase, for instance. Uh, probably it, the language I'll choose will be Go, just because that's a fairly popular language these days. I mean, it's not JavaScript. Yeah, I was gonna say you're not choosing Node because that no seems far way. more. It seems far more popular than Go, even though Go, you know, has had a, a big uptick in usage in the past couple years. I definitely was hopeful that Swift on the server side would get uh, some momentum, and and I think it has. And you've got companies like IBM backing it pretty heavily, uh, but I. As much as I love the language, I don't think it's quite, it's something I would make a big investment in yet. Yeah, I think it's very niche still, very early days. Maybe this time next year we'll be saying that forget about all these other server-side languages or forget Node, and it's now Swift. But Which would be nice. Not yet. It's just, yeah. Now, there's definitely a few pieces that have to fall into place before that can really um, be viable, I think. Uh, not just like things like the stable ABI, but you know, the package manager needs to be production quality, the uh, database support, and things like that. Um, one language that I looked at a little bit over the holidays was Kotlin, uh, which is gaining a lot of ground on the Android side and has a lot of similarities to Swift, but uh, is right. on, on the Java runtime. Uh, but Which means you're going to pull in something like Tomcat and a bunch uh, of other things. Or Spring Boot or, yeah. But I think Kotlin might be the closest thing to running, feeling like you're writing Swift on the server side. It's fair. But interesting. Interesting. Um, I'm not. I I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend adopting it. I I definitely know that uh, that community is getting a little bit stronger with Android pushing it. And Gradle and Spring now have support for Kotlin, and I think that's going to continue to to grow a little bit. I don't know if it'll replace Java. You know with with the majority of Android developers or even server-side developers. But, you know, if you think of all the benefits of Swift, you kind of get the best of both worlds with Kotlin running on the Java runtime. Well, if it gets too popular, Oracle <laughs> will figure out some way to sue them. Yeah, so. or you know, languages tend to evolve to a point in frameworks to a point that they become undesirable and you go to the next thing. Just the way it is. Yeah. So Argo, you want to finish us off with sure. your last goal? So my so my last assigned goal is do a Hello World VR app in Swift. So you're really piling on me here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I notice a cer certain kind of theme here. Yeah, Swift and VR. I and I'm cool with 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 that. I, I think this is actually something I can do. There's a what was Google Cardboard is now Google VR. They do have an SDK uh, for iOS, so I might try to do it there. Um, but also there's this uh, 
thing I've been looking into recently uh, by the people who make the structure sensor. It's kind of uh, interesting. It's basically like a headset where you put the structure sensor on front, um, and it's kind of like a VR slash AR headset, basically. And they've got an SDK where they've got like this little dog or whatever that you can ask questions to, and it'll run around kind of within the real world and it does a 3D scan of the room. So I'm kind of curious to to play with that a little bit too, but I'll, I'll consider either of those a, a completion of this goal. So when you say structure sensor, that you're saying something that kind of reads the layout of a room that you're in and 3D maps it somehow? Yeah, the name of the sensor is structure. I'm trying to find the actual, it's called the bridge. That's what it is. Um, so the company is structure. They have a sensor. They, they, they've made an SDK, uh, and like a headset that you can put the sensor on your iPhone six, uh, right now, like six, that, that size. So it doesn't work on a plus, but I do have some test devices sitting around that are six size. Uh, but yeah, it's basically an SDK plus a headset to get your structure sensor, which is like a kind of like a stereo camera that like maps the room and stuff like that. So okay. I'm kind of curious to play with that. Actually, it's not yeah. cheap, but I actually looked at that a couple of years ago for a project too. Uh, the, it was a Kickstarter project at the time. The but, sensor yeah. the structure. Yeah. 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 It was pretty cool. Um, I think at the time we were waiting for it to ship and it kept getting delayed and delayed to the point that we ended up not doing anything with it, but well, they did, they did do a Kickstarter for the bridge as well, um, and I think the Kickstarter finished, and they've shipped out a bunch of the developer uh, units, and they just released the first version of the SDK a month or sorry, a week or two ago. So it seems like that's out there. The SDK yeah. version is like 0.55, but I'm I'm curious to to maybe mess around with that. That might make a good random talk for a meetup or something <laughs> yeah uh, and that the company that is backing that Acapital, i think they were the company behind red laser oh, okay. and a few other things yeah so it's yeah kind of interesting okay. yeah they do lots of cool computer vision stuff yeah i guess yeah. structure is the sensor and then the bridge is the headset and sdk that combine the sensor or use the sensor so I might have to try something out like that if I if I have some spare time. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'd say the judges would accept that. Yeah. All right, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I need to come up with something for you guys next year. <laughs> ah, if you got something now, send it out there. I got nothing. We we hit you kind of hard. Okay. It's all good. I, I modified one, and I basically accepted, to some extent, the other two. So we're good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I figure I can't do much worse than I did last year, so <laughs> there's only one way to go up from here. On that note, I think that's about all the time we have left, so why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson. And I'm at Sam Corder. You can find me at Alex Argo on the Twitters, uh, and the podcast is at Shared Inst. Come join us in our Slack. Maybe we can talk about all this cool stuff, maybe talk about some VR or whatever if you're interested. Come to chat.sharedinstance.com if you want to join us. So we'll talk to you soon. All right. Happy New Year.